Hello, 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 my friends. <laughs> Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 281 of the show. Can you believe it? 19 episodes away from 300. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Uh, that we'd still be here all these years later, digging around through stuff. But here we are. They said it couldn't be done, <laughs> but we're defying the odds here at the What If Project. Uh, but welcome. Welcome back. Uh, today we're talking to repeat guest, Dr. James Danaher. You might remember from previous conversations, uh, Dr. Danaher was actually my philosophy professor at Nyack College. So hop in the time machine, <laughs> go all the way back to the year 2000. Uh, iPhones are like not a thing, obviously. Uh, Y2K, we like just survived. The Yankees had just beat the Mets in the World Series. I graduated uh, high school and had summer vacation and started up college in the fall. Uh, one of my first classes, I remember it was a Tuesday and Thursday class at 8 a.m. Uh, with like 65 other students. It was a huge class. And I was intro to philosophy with Dr. Dan Hur. And I remember thinking that this guy is crazy. <laughs> that's, my, that's my first thought about him was this guy is crazy. Because he's like so excited about philosophy. Like, Does he have a caffeine IV in his arm? Because the guy was just like wired at 8 o'clock in the morning about philosophy, like raring to go. And all of us are there like half asleep. I was a commuter, and so I had to be up extra early to get to school on time with all the traffic. And uh, yeah, it was crazy, but who would have thought, you know, 24 years later, we'd be sitting here um, in different houses, looking at computer screens, uh, talking about all this crazy stuff. Who would have thought? It's just crazy to me to think that 24 years ago, none of this, what we're doing right now is possible. But here we are doing it now. Crazy stuff. So anyway, uh, Dr. Danaher, is, he's been a huge supporter of my work. I'm so grateful for him. Uh, someone who I've been able to confide in, ask a lot of questions. He's been a very huge encourager to me, supporter of me. And I don't have many of those people <laughs> from that time of my life, from my former, my former life and tribe. Uh, there's a handful, but Dr. Dan Harris is definitely one of those people. So, uh, But he wrote a brand new book called The Disciples' Gospel, Transforming from Believer to Disciple. And it's such a great book uh, because he, he talks about the difference between the believer's gospel and the disciple's gospel. The believer's gospel, which is what many of us are familiar with. Uh, you got to believe the right things. You believe the right things about God and Jesus and sin and heaven and the Bible and all the different things. You believe the right things get the ticket, right? You get to go to heaven when you die. But you don't believe the right things, then you, eh, then you go to hell when you die. If you don't say the right prayer, you don't believe the right things about Jesus, right? That's why it's all about, you know, preaching the gospel to make disciples. Why? So they can go to heaven when they die. The disciples gospel is about not, not so much believing the right things, but being, but being in the world, being somebody who is following in the footsteps of Jesus the Christ to be more formed into the image of the divine. Uh, it's about a way of being in the world, not a way of believing in the world. And it's such a fascinating book. He does so well talking about these two things back to back, side by side, 
and exploring the ins and outs of both ways of thinking. Uh, and I told him like on the second chapter, I needed like a new highlighter. <laughs> I highlighted like everything. It was, it was really, it's a really, really good book. He's written a bunch of books. I think this is his best. I think this is the best, maybe most important book that he's written. So highly recommend it. I'll put it in the show notes. Also in the show notes, links to my books, Rethinking Everything and Emerging from the Rubble. And also a link to Patreon if you want to support the show financially. If this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, please consider giving. It's $3 a month, all the way up to like whatever it is that you want to give a month. And uh, every dollar literally goes to help us uh, with things. Put food on the table, use it for groceries, uh, gas bill, electric bill, all those different kinds of things. So we, we are super grateful for those of you who give. Uh, we have 48 supporters right now. Uh, our family is extremely grateful for you. Uh, thank you. Everybody who gives gets entrance into a Discord community where we chat throughout the course of the week. Uh, some weeks it's like dead in there. There's really nothing going on. Uh, other weeks it's hopping. People are asking a lot of questions, talking about a lot of things. But it's it's a place where you know that if you have a question, something that goes on in your life where you just feel like nobody understands, there's going to be somebody in that group that understands and is there to, to kind of lean on and, and talk to you and make friends with people who are on a similar journey uh, as yourself. We also try to have a Zoom hangout, maybe monthly, bi-monthly, where we just kind of hop on Zoom. People drop in, say, hi, how you doing? Meet people, bring some coffee, your drink of choice, whatever. Uh, hang out for a little while. Uh, last time we did it, we had a few people hop on. The time before that, we had like 15 people from like all different parts of the world. Uh, sometimes we get people from Malaysia that hop on, Honduras, Canada, Australia, Norway. It's crazy, uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. So anyway, uh, that's what you get when you sign up. And, and even if you can't give, I tell people this all the time, like if you can't give, like if $3 a month is a lot, I get it because we're there. <laughs> $3 a month is like, it's just, it's hard to, when your budget's already maxed out, it's hard to figure out how to put more in there. If you're in that spot, just tell me that you want to be in the community anyway, because I just let you in. There's people who are part of the Discord group who don't give because they can't give, um, but they give in other ways by just being an encourager, being a supporter, uh, being somebody who you know, shares the show and different things like that. So again, if you can't, if you can't give, that's fine. No pressure, no questions asked. Shoot me a message and I'll let you in the community uh, anyway. So uh, anyway, all that to say, all the links to all the things uh, are in the show notes. This is episode 281, talking to Dr. James Danaher about the gospel of Jesus the Christ. Enjoy. everybody welcome back to the podcast today we are joined by a repeat guest someone who i have known for over 20 years of my life my philosophy professor way back at nyack college uh dr james danaher so dr danaher welcome back to the podcast it's like your 100th visit to the show i think <laughs> it's, always, it's always good to have you thanks glenn we're gonna make you like the philosopher in residence how's that yeah there you go there you go all right so you brought you, you wrote a brand new book that we're going to talk a little bit about today uh, the book is called The Disciples' Gospel, Transforming from Believer 
to disciple. And it's, it's a great read. You sent me a, a physical copy, which I appreciate because I needed a new highlighter by the time I hit like chapter two, <laughs> I was highlighting <laughs> everything. Uh, it's so good, but I want to, I just want to dig right in. Like the, the book spends time sort of, uh, I would say differentiating between a believer's gospel and a disciple's gospel. So let's start there. Like what, what is the difference between these two Gospels. I thought there was just one gospel, Dr. Danaher. <laughs> well, what's really interesting is the back cover of the book. I, mm -hmm. I try to explain that uh, as briefly as possible. And what I argue is that our contemporary notion of the gospel, especially the evangelical gospel, mm -hmm. is more based on Aristotle than it is on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because Aristotle had said the truth was something to know. You know, Aristotle says we're involved in three basic activities as human beings, making, doing, and knowing. Mm -hmm. And we make, when we make, we want to make what's beautiful. When we do, we want to do what's good. And when we know, we want to know what's true. And that has really molded Western civilization. Uh, 1,500 years after Aristotle died, uh, the medievals just referred to him as the philosopher. Mm -hmm. he, he explained everything. Uh, he had the truth until they invented the microscope and the telescope. Mm. And then all of a sudden the world got a lot more complicated. And then uh, Isaac Newton came along and others, and they explained how this much bigger world worked. And once again, we knew the truth mm. until the 20th century when Albert Einstein and other scientists are becoming mystics and realizing truth as something to know is way beyond us. And Jesus was never talking about truth as something to know. It's not a belief. You know, people believe, well, if you believe the right things, you get to go to heaven. Well, people are believing different stuff for the last 2,000 years. Mm. The only consistent belief is that of the mystics, that it is this mystery. But Jesus doesn't tell us how to understand this great mystery. He tells us how to be. And mm. his words are about ontological truth, not epistemic truth. It's not a truth that's something to know, but a truth that's something to be. Mm. And that's that's why I argue that the gospel is the words of Jesus to his disciples. Mm. And it's about those words taking root within us and transforming us and bringing his kingdom to earth uh, mm. as he lives through us. You mm. know, there's, there's two major discourses in the Gospels. One at the beginning of the Gospel in Matthew, it's 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is the only one speaking, and he speaks for three full chapters. And then at the end of John's Gospel, there's what's called the Farewell Discourse, which is four full chapters, in that every once in a while a disciple will have something to say. But for the most part, it's Jesus teaching his disciples. And what he's teaching them is of a deeper life, he says, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Mm. And this is the deeper life. It's coming, and I think that's what prayer is all about. It's the practice of this deeper life, practicing being in God and God being in us. Mm. In the, the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. Mm. And then in the 17th chapter, he really goes into how uh, just as he is in the Father and the Father is in him, he wants us to be in them and them to be in us. And it's this unitive consciousness. 
And I argue that this is the deeper level of consciousness that we experience in contemplative prayer, in the practice of silence. And this is what allows the words of Jesus to take root within us. The words of Jesus cannot take root in the person that we've created to be in the world. Mm -hmm. That's not possible. That's the false self. The, the person that we are in the world is the false self that I've created to be in the world and to be better than other people. Mm. And that that person will always find the words of Jesus crazy. Mm. When Jesus tells us to judge no one and forgive everyone and love even your enemies. No, no, I, that's that's not what the world taught me. Right. The world taught me uh, a totally different way to be. Yeah, I know. Jesus is trying to make you into his disciples in order that he could live again through you and bring his kingdom to earth. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's what my pitch has been for the last couple of years with the bicameral brain book, with this book. And the next book is going to be the Sermon on the Mount, which argues that the only way you can really not only make sense of the Sermon on the Mount, but have those words really take root within us is if you spend time alone in the silence of God's presence. Mm -hmm. The only objective experience that human beings have access to, because all of our experience is an interpretation, the only objective experience to which we have access is the silence of God's presence. Mm -hmm. And if we spend time in the silence of God's presence, it transforms us. And it gets us to a place where we begin to identify with that deeper level of being in God and God being in us rather than our being in the world. That's mm -hmm. the transformation that has to take place in order for Jesus' words to take root within us. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, just, yeah, just talking to you. Have you heard of uh, Carl uh, Carl McCullman? No. Heard, heard of that name? No. So he, he, he wrote a, a book, a bunch of books, but his latest book is called The the new big book of Christian mysticism. And uh, uh, we're, we're coming into a mystical age. It's yeah. just so obvious. Listen to Thomas Keating. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Keating is explaining how psychology, which is only a hundred years old, yeah. is bringing us into this mystical age yeah. uh, and this deeper life. Yeah. Uh, and we keep on thinking, no, it's about having the right beliefs. And who of the 40,000 different Christian denominations have the right beliefs? Mine does, of course. <laughs> it's not about what we believe. It's about right. how much have Jesus' words really taken root within you? Yeah. And, and how much are you bringing his kingdom to earth by allowing him to live again through you? Yeah. Yeah, I had, uh, I had Carl on the show uh, yesterday. I, uh, two days ago, I talked to him. And uh, he was talking about that very thing about silence and about yeah. sitting yeah. in silence so we, we live in such a noisy age Absolutely. and our minds are filled with like we just talked about you know trying to figure out all these answers to all these different things and what's the right way and all this stuff and he said that right. something breaks down in some magically mysterious way when you sit in silence yep. for a little while yeah and you get comfortable with the mystery of unknowing and not Absolutely. knowing and yep. something something happens there and i think that's true yeah this yeah. is the age we're coming into. Yeah. Uh, this is what's going to save the world. Yeah. Uh, because we've been killing one another in the name of Jesus for the last <laughs> thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and when is this going to come to an end? You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. silence is 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 the way to to allow 
that deeper self to come forth. And it's only that deeper self that can really give root to Jesus' words. Mm. Because they make no sense from the perspective the world has given us. Yeah. So would you say then, like going back to those those verses in, in John and especially Jesus's prayer and stuff about, you know, oneness with the with the father and with his yeah. disciples would you say that like at the heart of jesus teaching is that whole idea of uh like interconnectedness like with each other and with Absolutely. the divine because i that's something i've been really getting into lately i've had yep. a few people come on the show to talk about about that just how if we could just grasp the idea that we're all, everything is connected like how many problems that would solve in the world because if i yep. look at you I see, I see James Danaher, but then I also see God in you, but then I also see myself in you because you and I are connected in in that kind of way as well. So if I look at you, it's very hard for me to want to hurt you. If I see you, I see God and I see myself, like I have to be something, something really not to be messed up with me. (laughs) I want to hurt you. If I, if I can really see all three of those things when I look at you, right? Yeah. But the world tells us just the opposite. Yeah. The world tells us, no, no, you, you're better than that other person. You're better than your neighbor. Right. Yeah. Uh, you have more wealth, more power, more prestige. And that's the, what the world tells us to build our lives around. Get more education, get yeah. more power, get more esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the world. And that's what has to die. That's the false self that we've created. And we create it mostly out of wounds that we suffer in childhood that Mm. are unconscious. Uh, And they're the things that form our emotional motivations for life. And we build our lives around these emotional motivations. And that has to come to an end. The false self has to die uh, in order for that deeper self to come forth. So where did this, I mean, the believer's gospel, you said you talked about Aristotle. Do we, do we pin the whole blame on him or is like where, where did this whole idea, yeah where did this whole idea come from and how why is it so rampant today because like if you talk to somebody about christianity the the immediate thing that people think even if they're not a christian is you've got to believe the right thing and go to heaven when That's you die right. but That's if you try right. to tell somebody that like hey there's actually like another <laughs> way to look at this whole thing yeah. it's like they think you're crazy right so it's like why why did this become the way that people well, think I, th- I think the the original church, which is called the way, took Jesus' word seriously, and they lived by this new way of being. Mm-hmm. And the Romans started persecuting them because they realized what a challenge this was to the worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the desert fathers and mothers went into the Arabian and the Egyptian and the Palestinian deserts to escape from the persecution, mm-hmm. and they created this deeper life. Uh, the practice of this deeper life that eventually uh, became the monastic systems in the West. Mm. Uh, when Constantine becomes the uh, becomes a Christian because he believes that the sign of the cross enabled him to win a battle, right? Mm-hmm. Now Christianity becomes the official religion of Rome, and it's about heresy, and do you believe the right things, and it's about the world, and how Christianity comes to dominate in the world. But it's always kept alive in the monastic systems of the church. Mm. Uh, Of course, when you get to the Protestant Reformation, and before that, you get the Great Schism, where Eastern Orthodoxy, which I think I'm more of an Eastern Orthodox, when I wrote my book with Liguori, 
uh, my uh, editor on that book, Danny Michaels, kept on saying he had a, a PhD in church history. And he kept on saying, you know, your stuff is way more Eastern than Western. Because <laughs> Western, it became all about Aristotle and about what we know. Truth is something to know mm -hmm. and believe. And the deeper meaning of Jesus' words is it's something to be. It's not something to know and believe. Truth is is a way of being, and it's the way of being that Jesus taught his disciples. So, you know, I've been reading a lot of the, um, excuse me on Facebook, I'm sure, the, a lot of the Gnostic writings, which has gotten yeah. me, it's gotten me in some hot water. <laughs> but I love them so much because they provide various perspectives that are very different from the way that I was, I was raised. And a lot of them are outrageous, I admit, and very bizarre. Um, but they, they take stories from the Bible and they just put this different twist on them. But there's one of the writings in particular I was thinking of while I was reading your book. You probably heard of it. It's called The Gospel of Truth. And mm -hmm. scholars believe it was written by possibly a guy named Val Valentinus or one of his followers. But in, in the gospel, it kind of says, in, in the short of it, it says that the, the problem that humans have is not so much a like the, that we're born with this sinful nature problem, but it's that we have a forgetfulness. That the problem yeah. is that we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten whose image that we're made and we've forgotten who we've been created to be like. Yeah. We've forgotten that interconnected piece. We've forgotten that we're connected with God. Maybe even go a little bit further, doesn't say this, but forgot that we've been connected with each other. And so salvation then is more about, about waking up. It's about yeah, like remembering who we are, yeah, that yeah. we we once again become the conduits of God's love and forgiveness and grace that yeah. we've been created to be, then it is about signing on to this creed or right. list of theologies yeah. that we have to believe about. That will allow God to forgive us because God's <laughs> not very forgiving. He needs to have some sort of payment for exactly our, for exactly. the evil that he made us to be. You exactly. Know, it's it's very strange. I, I have a weird theory, and I can't support this at all, mm -hmm. but it just makes so much sense to me. Uh, all the near-death experiences, or many of the near-death mm -hmm. experiences, say the same thing. They say, we chose to come here. We yeah. chose to come here. Mm -hmm. Why would you choose to come here? Well, I think that we were created as eternal beings, and we were made in God's likeness to love the things that God loves and to not love the things that God doesn't love. Mm. But we were not made exactly like God because we were not made free. We were just made to love what God loved. Mm. And some of us uh, decided, you know, God, but I would love you even if I had a choice. Even if I had a choice between what you tell me to love and what others tell me to love, I would still choose you. Mm. And God says, do you really want to challenge that? Do you really want to go through that? And we've agreed to it. And we come into this world and all of a sudden the world tells us a completely different way to be. Mm. And it tells us about, it's about loving ourselves, not a lot about loving our neighbor and our enemy the same way we love ourselves, but it's about loving ourselves and making ourselves more than our than our adversaries more than others. Hmm. And then you see that in the evangelical gospel. Uh, it's it's about what I believe that makes me better than other people hmm. and makes God love me more than other people. No, God is, 
God forgives everyone. God judges no one. The way we know that is that Jesus tells us that God is our father. Hmm. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says that 16 times, our father, your father, your heavenly father. And what our father is telling us is how to be like him. That's what fathers want. Fathers hmm. want their children to be as they are. Hmm. So when, when Jesus tells us, forgive everyone, or God won't forgive you. It's because that's who God is. God forgives everyone. God mm. judges no one, but he allows us the freedom to judge ourselves by the way we judge others. It's not sin. You know, we, we evangelicals have this idea that if our sins are forgiven, we're good to go. No, you're not. Look at your life. Right. You're, a mess. you're not ready for heaven. Right. Uh, no, no, because my only problem was I had sinned against God and God needs to forgive me through my beliefs and then I'm good to go. Hmm. Uh, no, listen to the words of Jesus. You're not ready for heaven. Hmm. Uh, there needs to be this transformation and it's a spiritual journey. It takes a lifetime. I just finished reading the, the life of Therese of Lusseau, uh, and she completed the spiritual journey in nine years. Mm -hmm. She entered a Carmelite uh, uh, convent at 15, and she dies when she's 24 years old. Mm -hmm. But she had completed the journey. Most of it is it takes, Thomas Keating says it takes 40 to 60 years to complete the journey. Just stay on the journey. Pay attention to Jesus' words, spend time alone in the silence of God's presence. And that's what transforms us into his likeness. That's what brings his kingdom to earth. Uh, and we've made it into something to believe, to a doctrine to believe. Oh, come on. Stop yeah, it. Yeah. You have this great, I just, when you were talking, it reminded me in your book, I'm going to read this real quick, and then you can you can riff off of it if, if you want. But you say... If the God of the universe is our father, then when Jesus tells us how we should be, he's telling us who God is as well. Yeah. That is because a father, God as a father, uh, sorry, that is because a father God desires his daughters and sons to be as he is. So when Jesus tells us, do not judge so that you may not be judged for with the judgment you make, you will be judged. He is telling us that God does not judge, but freely loves all of his children and desires them to be as he is. We, as God's daughters and sons, however, get to freely choose how much we resemble our Heavenly Father in terms of love, or how much we resemble the world in terms of love. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes so long to get to that place. Mm. You know, I've been on the journey for uh, 50 years, uh, mm. more than 50 years, and I'm just starting to come into it now. Hmm. I'm just starting to see, and it's because I'm retired. I've got this great life. I, I I was for 16 years. I had two full time jobs. I was head of arts and sciences at a college in Westchester, hmm. and I was head of uh, philosophy at NIAC. And because of it, I have two 401s, <laughs> so I don't have to work as a crossing guard or anything. I can hmm. just spend all day hanging out with God. Hmm. You know, Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God. Hmm. You know. And, and God shows you stuff. Uh, he shows you what Jesus is talking about. Uh, this is the deeper life, but it, it takes a long time to get there. And you have to practice this presence for years. I started practicing a contemplative prayer. I even wrote a book about it in 2011. I'm, 
I'd be ashamed to read it now because <laughs> what I probably thought a contemplative prayer was in 2011 is nothing like what I think it is now. Right. Uh, because it is a journey. You keep mm. on allowing this false self to die in order that the true self comes forth. You know, mm. God, th there's two selves. There's the, the self that God created before the world got a hold of us and began making us into its likeness. This is why Jesus says, you must be born again. You mm. have to get back to that true self. That's why he says, unless you become as a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to get back to who you were as a child and not who you created to be in the world through your psychological wounds and through your beliefs and through the arrogance and all of the stuff that the world tells us to practice, you know, to make ourselves better than other people. That has to die. And it takes a lifetime to die. Richard Rohr wrote a great book about uh, the two halves of life. And the first half of life is about climbing the ladder of success, you know, making something of yourself. You've got a PhD, you know, uh, you went to Bible school, you, you, you know, uh, you did all this stuff. And then the second half of life is realizing, yeah, but that doesn't count for anything. Right. That's the false <laughs> self. Yeah, That's the false self. It's who yeah. I created. It's not who God created. Yeah. And the one that God created, God wants me to yield that self so he can live again through me. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's the farewell discourse. That's all the parables. The, the parable of the sower, I think, is the most important of all the parables. Jesus says, a man went out to sow seed, and some of the seed fell on this ground, and some of the seed, and the seed only takes root in 25% of the ground that it falls upon. Why? Because when the seed of his word falls upon the self that we've created to be in the world, it just dies. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't have the fertilizer that you need. The fertilizer is seeing the shit in your own life. Mm -hmm. You know, if you pay attention to Jesus' words and you see, God, I'm just constantly judging people. Why do I do that? Because you're not loving them the way you love yourself, mm -hmm. you know? Stop judging. Uh, yeah. Forgive everyone. Love even your enemies. There's a freedom in that that's unbelievable. This is the deeper life. That's this enormous freedom. And we're kept from it by believing that, no, I'm I'm this guy that I created. No, you're not. Uh, that's what has to die yeah. in order for that deeper life to come forth. Yeah. It's funny, you know, you talk about the two halves of life and I was thinking, I mean, I'm going to be 42 this month. Yeah. And when I first met you, I was 18, right? Yeah. 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 And so sitting in that philosophy class in Simpson Hall, <laughs> up in the upstairs, yeah. jam-packed yeah. with students. You were like, I what know, was... 65 students. Yeah. I was like one of my first classes. But I think back to that that time. And I've realized a lot of this because, you know, my dad passed away in March. And so I've been doing a yeah. lot of reflecting on, on life and, and grief has a painfully bizarre way of bringing a lot of this kind of stuff, I think, to the surface, if you allow it to do that. And I, so I've been reflecting a lot of my life. And I think for like back in that time, like I think of, you know, taking all those classes, like, you know, for ministry classes and homiletics classes and church leadership classes and like you're trying to 
build yourself into something, you know, because you have this goal and you have this dream of what you're going to do with your life and you're going to do these things. And and then I was like, I'm done with Bible college. Now it's time for seminary, you know, and you go to seminary and you get more things and more degrees and you go out in the world and you do the thing. And now I've been reflecting like on, on my life and I'm like, man, like I spent like so much time building, trying to build myself into something, but I've really neglected in a way all that building caused me to neglect i think that true self yeah that deep core of myself and to the point where i realized like i don't even know how to grieve like i was like i don't even know i don't even know what to do (laughs) my father i was like i don't even know how i don't even know what to feel you know what i mean like i felt like i just didn't have any of those tools because i felt like that that true self inside was bubbling up i'm like i don't know what this is and then all of a sudden i was like i really need to get to know this part of myself. That's what, like this year, I'm really trying to enter into that time of silence. Like I'm, I'm trying to do like a lot of meditation, things yeah. like that, just to give myself some space to let those things that I've pushed down inside at the expense of trying to build myself into something, let that yeah. stuff come to the surface so I can get to know it. Yeah, very cool. Uh, yeah. L- listen to Thomas Keating's uh, uh YouTube's they're they're just excellent. He's mm. uh he's dead now. He died in 2018. I met him once uh at a roar conference in New Mexico uh back in 2010, I think. Mm. Not to talk to him or anything, just met him. He was a very tall man, <laughs> but he is excellent as far as the contemplative practices. Mm. And it's it's really that that practice of the deeper life that that allows Jesus' words to really start making sense and really taking root within us. Yeah. It seems like it's, I find now, like, even, like, in conversations with people online and stuff, like, when you go back and forth about, like, theology and stuff, I'm like, I find all that stuff, like, so boring now. I'm like, I can't, like, I feel like there's got to be more to it than this. You know what I mean? Like, it just can't be all it is. That's what's so great about this age. Scientists are saying, look, the math doesn't work. Yeah. The math yeah. doesn't work. We have yeah. no way of knowing how, how is consciousness connected to matter? Just yeah. make up a story. You don't have to know. Just make up a story. <laughs> we can't make up a story about it. Yeah. It defies our imagination. So to think that you could get the truth and the truth is somehow going to set you free because of what you know and believe. Oh, come on, stop it. It's about allowing Jesus to come and live through us and transform this world into his kingdom. Yeah. Uh, That's the bottom line. And in every generation, there's been those handfuls of people, but now it's becoming a necessity. We can't play around with this any longer. We're Mm going to destroy this world unless we get real serious with Jesus and allow this transformation to take place in our lives. That's right. Right. So you talk in the book about how um, the the kind of the keys, so to speak, to this waking up and remembering and becoming this this conduit of love and forgiveness is twofold. Number one, you talk about forgiveness, and then number two, you talk about uh, about prayer. And I, I don't know if we'll have time to get to prayer. We'll see. But I want to ask you about about forgiveness. Like in in the in the believer's gospel, forgiveness is about receiving forgiveness, right? It's all about you know, like we said, believing. Right the right thing so I can believe I can, I can get forgiveness and go to heaven. But the disciples gospel, the other side of the coin is about giving away forgiveness. So talk to us about, about the the forgiveness and like the differences between these two gospels. Forgiveness is the thing that frees us. 
Uh, the freedom that Jesus calls us to is this enormous freedom, uh, and it comes through our forgiveness of others. I, I was just thinking about this recently, and I went back about 20 years, maybe more than 20 years, uh, maybe 30 years, and I remember me having an incident with someone, and I just couldn't let it go. Mm. I wanted to smack this guy. <laughs> I just, who does he, does he know who I am? You know, uh, talk to me like, and boy, it was a struggle. And uh, now I look back on that and go, what a jerk I was. Mm -hmm. My God, what, what was wrong with me? Well, I was living out of the false self. I was living out of the self that I had created to be in the world. And that self was offended. And I was going to make somebody pay for that offense. Mm -hmm. Oh no, let it go. That's not who you are. That's the false self that you've created. The deeper life that God created wants you to be free. Hmm. And the way you become free is by letting it go, letting it go. Hmm. Uh, judge no one, forgive everyone, love even your enemies. Hmm. Uh, and that is possible. Of course, you don't get to it until you get to be like 76. <laughs> and I'm just starting to come into it now, hmm. you know? Uh, and it's it's the freest thing there is. It's unbelievable. But this is the fullness of life to which Jesus calls us. Hmm. But it takes a long time to get there. A lot of dying has to take place. And we think, no, no, uh, my false self is, is good. Uh, I'm believing the right things. I'm doing what Jesus calls me to do. No, it, it, that has to die. Uh, the God that the, the you that God created before the world got a hold of you, that person has to come forth. That's what Jesus says to, to, um, uh, uh, Nicodemus, mm -hmm. you know, uh, don't you know, you're the teacher. Don't you know that there's a deeper life that has to come forth? Uh, and we think, oh, it's just about a new belief system. No, it's not about a, a new belief system. It's about a deeper life. And it takes a journey of 40, 50, 60 years to come to that deeper life uh, because it's a death process. Mm -hmm. Death is the way into eternal life. Uh, that's always been the case, but it, it has to start long before our physical death. It has to be good. I've often noticed at NIAC that there were certain students that were just in a different place. Hmm. I'm trying to think of one guy's name in particular, but they were always students who had gone through something in their teen years that was life-threatening. Hmm. And they weren't like the rest of the students. Yeah. They were on a different level. They had gone through a death experience long before, like Therese of Lusseau. She goes through this death experience. She dies of, of tuberculosis when she's 24 years old. But she had done the whole journey and come into the deeper life in nine years. How do you do that? Through what we would think is this terrible tragedy of our life. Yeah. And of course, a lot of times those tragedies turn out to be the, the best thing imaginable. Yeah. Like, like the death of your father. That's a tragedy. Yeah. Uh, and, and what is God doing with it? How is he using that tragedy to bring you to the deeper understanding of who you are, who your father is, and who both of you are in God? Yeah. This is the deeper life. And uh, 
it takes us so long to get to it. We we want to do it on our own. God, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you proud of me. <laughs> no, stop it, stop it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. an amazing journey. Yeah, we want to, you know, we want to avoid pain. And that's like we're we're wired to want to avoid yeah. pain, avoid yeah. trouble. But like when I look back on my life, it's those those are the times that I didn't see it in the moment, but right. as time went on. Right. Like they really form me. Like I, I talk all the time about how like the whole, my whole journey into like lack of a better word, deconstruction started because, you know, my, my wife and I had, we had a miscarriage and that was like phase one. And then phase two was when my daughter was born, she went to the NICU and she spent some time in there. And it's just like, it was, those were hard moments or hard seasons, especially the miscarriage was a very hard season of my life. But I started to ask a lot of questions and I mainly started to ask questions because I'm like the nice little neat, you know, bows on top of my theology don't really fit anymore with my experience. You know, like it just, it doesn't make any sense. That's and right. like, yep. I'm, I'm sitting here in a, in a bucket of tears and I'm supposed to believe, you know, all these different things about a God's power, you know, got all this different stuff. I'm like, it doesn't make sense anymore. And so that led me to this place of like mystery where I started to rethink a lot of things. But it was that if I didn't go through that moment, if I didn't have those hard times, I would have been very comfortable with my systematic theology of how everything fits together. And now I appreciate those moments in my life. I appreciate all that stuff. It did something for me then. But now I'm realizing that there's a deeper, uh, I've peeled back more layers of the onion and I'm in a deeper place now. Yep. Yeah. Life is an onion. Just keep on peeling. That's right. That's right. So yeah, what would you say about what would you say about forgiveness then to the person who is listening who maybe is saying something like I can't forgive my abuser I can't forgive yeah. God forbid my my yeah. my rapist you fill in the blank like raising the church right forgiveness for me often I I heard it from the pulpit you know forgive and forget I heard that all the time you know you have to forgive you have to forget you have to move on and I came out of church even even college in a, in a way seminary with this idea that like I had to forgive move on with my life. But I feel like, I feel like that's not really what forgiveness is, right? Like, I feel like forgiveness is a, is a little bit deeper than just letting it go and going on with life as normal. Yeah. It's a death process. Uh-huh. It's, it's not just about forgetting. It's about dying, uh-huh. dying to that person that you've created and you feel was wounded by that other person. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, I, I have, I'm going to something else right now, but uh, in my uh, Jesus in a Bicamel Brain book, mm-hmm. I'm very sympathetic to uh, to the evangelical gospel. And I say it, it's not a false gospel. It's just an elementary gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not as sympathetic. I'm actually thinking about doing a new book, although God's, uh, you know, I, I have this muse. Uh, I have this this Holy Spirit that uh, when I write, I just, okay, God, what do you got? Right. <laughs> and it comes, and it's not coming. So I'm kind of reluctant. Maybe maybe I'm wrong to, to judge the evangelical gospel. Mm. But there is something sinister about it because people get locked in. They think the truth is, no, I know the truth, and the truth is making me free. No. Mm. The, your idea of truth is not 
the truth that God is calling you to. The mm -hmm. deeper life is the life of Jesus in you. And that's a life of letting things go the way mm -hmm. Jesus lets it go. Jesus forgives everybody. He forgives his torturers. Mm -hmm. He forgives his torturers. He lets it go. And we say, yeah, but I can't forgive that guy. Yeah, I know you're not Jesus yet. But mm -hmm. if enough of you that you've created dies, that life of Jesus is going to come forth within you. And that's what has to happen in order for you to forgive. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to start seeing your life in Jesus and his life in you. Yeah. Uh, without that unitive consciousness, you're still the old man. Yeah. You're still trying to do something to make God pleasing uh, about you and, and the life that you created. God doesn't want you to create a life. He wants to come and live again through you. Yeah, That's, that's the bottom line of the gospel. Yeah. But you don't get there for the first 40, 50, 60 years. <laughs> right. That's the tricky part. You know, yeah. you, you might think you're there. Uh, I thought I was there at times. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> something into your life and you realize, oh, I'm not there yet. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the good news. Yeah. Just stay on the journey. Just stay on the journey. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, forgiveness, it's, it's a, it's such a, it's a, such a big topic, but I think that maybe one of the misunderstandings people have too, is that a presence of forgiveness does not necessarily equal a lack of boundaries, right? Like I think of, I think of Jesus on the cross, like he didn't come down off the cross and go out for coffee <laughs> with the people that yeah. put him up there, but he did express forgiveness. And I think like, I'm thinking of an example of my own life, not mentioning any names, you know, there was this person who repeatedly hurt me and hurt our family over and over and over again. And the same thing every, every single time. And I said to this person, you know, I, I just can't do this anymore. Like I'm, I'm done, you know? And the yeah. person said, well, you know, you, you know, you preach, you know, grace and forgiveness for everybody. And, you know, you welcome everybody to the table. And I said, I, I do. I said, I, I can honestly say that I forgive you. I said, but you've repeatedly hurt <laughs> the same thing over and over again. And I do forgive you. I do welcome you to the table. I just don't want to sit next to you <laughs> at the yeah. table. You know, I said, I want to see all the best for you. I just feel like for this season of my life, however long yeah. it's going to be, right. I need to have a boundary. This is the yeah. boundary. I love you. I forgive you. I hope the best for your life, but I can't do this anymore. Right. From, from the place that you're at right now. Right. Right but now. Maybe, maybe one day it will be different. Yes. Right. It, right. Just stay on the journey. Stay yeah. on the journey. Spend yeah. time alone with God and Jesus' words, and yeah. those words will transform you into his likeness. Yeah, uh, They'll allow his life to come forth within you. Yeah. That's the gospel. And we've made it into something about what we believe. Mm -hmm. uh, just a little history of Christianity. People have believed all sorts of crazy things. Nobody believed the, the salvation gospel up until 100 years ago. You know, it's a 20th century notion. Oh, if you just believe the right thing that happened on the cross, the right theory about atonement, yeah. that's all it takes. Yeah. It. Boy, is that good news. That's <laughs> great news. What could be greater to, to the false self? Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's not very good news to the deeper life that Jesus yeah. is calling us to. Because it feels, I mean, for the false self, it feels validating, right? It feels valid. Look at me. Absolutely. I believe Absolutely. the right thing and I've, I figured it out. 
And yeah. poor, poor, poor Jim I'm Danner over there. He just doesn't... like I am. Yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. The me that I've created is going to heaven because my only problem was that I had sinned against God and God needed to forgive me. End of yeah. story. Well, in order to believe that, you have to ignore all the words of Jesus because he says something completely different. You know, Jesus says the father judges no one. He's given all judgment to the son. And then later in John's gospel, Jesus says, and I judge no one, but you do have a judge. The words that I've spoken to you will serve as your judge. Mm. Pay attention to his words. Because they're telling you about the deeper life. And the way you get to the deeper life is through forgiveness and through mercy uh, and through loving even your enemies. Because that's who God is. God forgives everyone. And we're kept from God's fullness of life because we refuse to do that. And we want a God that's righteous and loves good people like us. You know, the, the, the big conflict in the Bible, in the Gospels, is the conflict between the righteous and sinners. And Jesus always says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. As a matter of fact, the, the book that I have waiting to go on the Sermon on the Mount, is it, it doesn't start with the Beatitudes, because people start with the Beatitudes, and they think, oh, yeah, that's the Sermon on the Mount. No, that's mm-hmm. not the Sermon on the Mount. So it does the Beatitudes as the last chapter. And it starts with Jesus talking about the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And he says, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he sets off law and prophets that is way beyond what the Old Testament told us. Uh, what's he doing? How, how, how is that? We can't live by that law and prophets. Well, you're not supposed to live by it. You're supposed to repent over it. You're supposed to constantly see the sin on deeper and deeper levels. That's the Christian journey. It's not about what do I have to believe to be made righteous? It's about pay attention to Jesus words and he'll show you that the sin is deeper. The sin is deeper. The sin is deeper. And as you continue to repent, that repentance is what allows Jesus' words to take root within us. Mm. It's only through repentance. That's the fertilizer. That's the shit in our life that allows his words to start to take root and produce fruit. Mm. You know, the parable of the sower, only 25% of those people allow his words to take root. Why? Because they're paying attention to his words and they're seeing their sin on deeper and deeper levels. And it's okay. God is forgiving. But make sure that you see that you need forgiveness. You need mercy. That's the only way we become merciful and forgiving. Uh, Without receiving an abundance of mercy and forgiveness, we never become merciful and forgiving. We become righteous. Uh, Well, I'm not a sinner. I... I obey the law, uh, not the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> uh, yeah, you obey Moses' law. Good, good for you. Yeah. But what about the sermon? What about loving your enemies? Yeah. What about refusing to respond to violence with violence? Yeah. That's the deeper stuff that he's calling us to. You know. Yeah, yeah it's funny. My my daughter, she's six, so she's asking. She asks a lot of questions about you know god and stuff and she sees all my you know my books and stuff in my office she's like you have a lot of books about god (laughs) down here so that's how i studied god when i was in school and so we talk about you know different things and 
you know, she said one day, she's like, well, you know, like, what's the, like, she likes me to tell her the story of Jesus, like, you know, some of the stories from the Bible and stuff. And so I've kind of crafted the, uh, like the overarching story of Jesus. And I, I basically, when I, when I tell it to her at night, she likes to hear it at, at bedtime. I say that, you know, God, God created everything and God created us to be just, just like him, you know, nice, kind, loving. And for a while, I said, people were like that. I said, but then people started to forget, you know, who they were and forget who they were made to be like. And so God said, like, uh, looks like my people forgot how to live. So I, I got to remind them. So I said, God lived inside of Jesus and Jesus showed us how to live and how to love and be kind. And lots of people started to wake up and remember. And they thought, this is really cool. And they started to follow Jesus. They're called as disciples. And some people said, oh, you know, I like that very much. So we got to get rid of this Jesus guy. So they put him on the cross. I said, but from the cross, when he died, his very last words were, I love you and I forgive you. And I said, those words had so much power in them that three days later, he came back to life. And I said, that's the power of love and forgiveness is that it creates new life. And I said, no, Jesus, I said, Jesus is almost like God's mirror. The world I said, when you look in the mirror in the morning, you can see that your hair is messed up. <laughs> you can see that you, you, know, you got something stuck in your teeth. Maybe you got a pimple on your nose, you know, whatever things you want to take care of. I said, so Jesus is like that mirror. When you look at Jesus, you see, oh man, like I'm, I'm really forgetting this part of myself. And if I adjust this part, I become more like Jesus. I become more like the person I was created to be. And I said, that's for me. I said, that's what Jesus is. I said, now what you're going to go to school, you're going to meet lots of people who are going to believe lots of different things about Jesus. Some people believe you've got to, you know, believe this, this, and this about Jesus in order to get to heaven, not go to hell. I said, I used to believe that kind of thing. I said, but now I see it a little bit differently. And I said, you know, we'll see what, 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 what kind of stuff you're going to believe as you grow. I said, but that's where I'm at with yeah, it. So we have these kind of conversations and she's really come to see Jesus in that way, which I think is really cool for a six-year-old yeah, because really when I was cool. six years old, I didn't see it like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's very cool. I mean, I, I had two daughters. Uh, I have two daughters and uh, very interesting. Uh, the way they, they've found their journeys. Mm -hmm. uh, my oldest daughter was a missionary in Guatemala for 11 years. And uh, the other one is just a real practicing Christian in her local church. And uh, But to see their journeys yep. and to encourage them without trying to make their journeys like my journey, you know? Yeah. Uh, That's what I feel like I'm so excited about because I feel like, you know, five even five years ago when she was like just born, I was like in a panic because like, oh my gosh, she's going to, we live in the South, right? She's going to come across all these different things that she could learn about God and Jesus. And I'm like, oh my God, like what's going to happen? And now I'm in this place though, like all these years later, I'm like, I feel, I feel like much less of a, of a grip on it. Yeah. And I've told her, I, I've been very honest with her and said, there's many different ways to believe about God. Whatever you end up believing, I will support you hundred percent. And I said, I, you know, I would, I love to have these kind of conversations with you. I said, but there is never going to be any judgment on my side. Yeah. I said, even if we see things a little bit differently, that's okay. I said, well, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun conversation. Yep. And I'm excited to see your journey. journey. Yeah, I'm excited stay to see journey. where your journey takes you. Yep. So, yep. awesome. Well, my friend, we're just about out of time, but this has been, as always, tons of fun. So thank you for your, really your time, you your so work. Thank you so much, Glenn. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we'll do it again sometime when the next book comes out. Sounds good. And hey, do you have uh, any any websites yet or anything like that you people can go find no, you? Or you just no. you just uh, you live in a, I, I, you live I'm in a cave. Facebook, that's about <laughs> it. I post stuff on Facebook. And that's it. 
Got uh, it. Well, I'll put your Facebook link in the show notes. Yeah. I don't think my stuff is really ready. Uh, I, I think 50 years from now, it will be more uh, conducive to the worldview at that time. Right now, it's just not. Evangelicalism at this point is just at a real end, I think. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Thanks, buddy. I yeah, appreciate man. it.